Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone to Satsang. <clears throat> I like to begin always by quoting my guru Baba, Baba Muktananda, who always began by saying in Hindi, Sabko Vadasanmane Kesat Premse Hadik Swakat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality to welcome another person with love because another person is the true temple of God because God lives within every person. The body is the temple and the image in the temple is the heart, is the self within which is the divine spark within each person. So in that spirit, I welcome you all. And for that reason, we should be kind to each other and we should get rid of hatred and get rid of envy, and get rid of all the bad qualities. <clears throat> so, as, uh, uh, as uh, Swami Turinanda said, I celebrate the great beings in these programs. The great realizers, the realized beings, the sages, the saints, the yogis, <clears throat> because I value them above everyone, because it was through the grace of one of them that so many good things have happened to me, and I've, uh, I usually celebrate my guru, Baba Muktananda, and his guru, Bhagwan Nityananda, but also there are other great saints and great sages that have had an impact on me or who I can relate to, and I like to celebrate them also. But first there's something, where's uh, Lakshmi, where'd she go? There you are. <laughs> so you know, I had a lot of questions in Ganeshpuri that I didn't answer. We had, we collected a lot of questions uh, and we did question answers there on the, on the veranda at Kotiwala. And most of the questions were uh, supplied by Lakshmi. <laughs> <laughs> and I never got through all of them. So I've been answering uh, like one a, one a week and you haven't been here till now. So, um, Here's a bunch of questions. Which one would you like answered now? <laughs> Take a quick look. Or do you have one? She has very uh, inquiring intellect, so she has lots of questions. <laughs> do they still relevant to you as you look at them? 
The questions of today are not the questions of tomorrow. And the answers of today are not the answers of tomorrow. What do you have? It's a thesis. What? <laughs> no, I'm not a very fast reader, and I'm like, uh -huh, not a reader. Um, I think nine. Number nine? <laughs> mm -hmm. Is Taylor Swift a realized being? <laughs> Of course. <laughs> uh, can you read this one, number nine? You have a mic? I've heard you say before. What? I've heard you say before in Hinduism, it is virtuous to get rid of or reduce want and desire. Does this apply to higher pleasures? such as education, work-related ambition, and things that require hard work? Uh -huh. <clears throat> well, let's not say Hinduism. Let's say yoga, because it's more universal than, than Hinduism. And it's not even yoga as a special thing. It's about the art of living, the art of uh, becoming as Asha would say, the art of becoming happy. <clears throat> so uh, desire and its relation to happiness uh, has been talked about by so many great sages from the Buddha uh, on. Uh, and when we want something that we can't have, that's called suffering. And when we get something that we don't want, that's another form of suffering. So it's, it's very important to, to understand what our desire is and whether it can be fulfilled and also whether it's good for us. Um, but within that limit, it's all fine because from another point of view, desire is the life force and it, the desire is also uh, Shiva. And of course, the desire for good things, I once asked Baba, uh, because I was troubled by this idea that uh, I thought I had to give up all desire, and then what about the desire for liberation, the desire to attain the ultimate? Spiritually, I couldn't figure out how that could be, and he, would, he said to me <clears throat> that, and I'll find that question for you in a couple of weeks, he said to me um, that, when you, that that desire is good desire, and that desire is appropriate. Um, so if you desire the highest, if you desire peace, if you desire joy, if you desire happiness, if you, uh, all those desires are very good. And, and to work hard to uplift yourself and uh, to attain a profession and so on, those are all good desires. So you don't have to worry about that. That's a good question. Check that off. We'll keep going. <laughs> <coughs> all right, so tonight... Uh, the sage that I celebrate is the, <clears throat> the first one that I came across in the Indian tradition. In, back in the, in the 60s in, in the U.S., the first sage that I came across was G.I. Gurdjieff, the uh, Armenian-Turkish mystery and mysterious figure, uh, a great spiritual teacher. But... Um, and I, I, I was very interested in him, and I was very interested in spiritual evolution, but I had not yet become interested in, in uh, the Indian tradition. And then I had uh, not exactly a chance meeting, but a, a meeting with the American yogi Ramdas at a dinner party in Chicago. And from that dinner party, my interest was whetted, as it were, in, uh, in yogis and Indian tradition. Uh, and he recommended that I look at uh, the teachings of this sage. <clears throat> and that's, of course, Sri Ramana Maharshi, or Raman Maharshi. The great Maharshi is the, the, the great Rishi, the great sage Ramana, or Raman. <clears throat> uh, and he was... Uh, one of the 20th century's greatest sages. 
Uh, and even today, his, uh, uh, many years after his death, about 70 years after his death, 75 years after his death, uh, his impact and his fame uh, is still growing. <clears throat> so I got a book of Ramana's question and answers, and one of them I'm going to share tonight, uh, his dialogues and, and his teaching. And his basic teaching was to know the self. He taught people, to, and it very stripped down. It wasn't with a lot of ritual and uh, mumbo-jumbo around. It was very basic. Go direct to the self. Know the self. Know your own self, your true self, not your social self, uh, not the self you want to present to people, the false self, not your self-image, but your true self. And if you know that true self, you'll be able to draw so much power and energy and love and strength from that place that you'll be transformed. And that was his basic, his basic teaching. And I read that book, and I read that book with great relish. So he's one of the, my great heroes. Let's see another picture of him. <clears throat> he's very simple. He lived very simply, uh, and he met people uh, in that fashion, sitting there, and they would ask him various questions. <clears throat> One of his devotees has become very important in our programs, and she was uh, a simple woman uh, who was married at an ungodly early age, about 11 years old, and that was the, the custom in that, and she became a widow a year later. Uh, and then, according to the custom of the time, that was it for her. She now had to uh, live out her life, probably uh, serving her mother or something. And um, <clears throat> But she became very interested in, in spirituality. She had no education, but she was extremely smart. And she started to read about the saints and sages. And finally, she ended up, finally, uh, at... Ramana Maharshi's ashram, and she was uh, a remarkable person. Her name was Surya Nagama, and that's, that's not her. <coughs> that's her, I forgot, there are three of Ramana. There she is. This is her in later life. She spent the rest of her life <coughs> in Ramana's ashram, and she became very close to him. She was a very close confidant of his. Uh, and the thing that she's noted for, and I'm very grateful to her for, is that she wrote letters to her brother about what was happening in the ashram. And these letters have been collected in a wonderful book called Letters from the Ashram. Uh, and she writes about all the different encounters and so on. So we're also going to uh, hear from her a little bit later. <coughs> <clears throat> these, these people who record what happens around saints are heroes of mine also. And she's in the top few. Uh, there's, uh, what am I missing? Nothing. <laughs> Is Gopal behaving? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so, uh, uh, so she's one of them. And thanks to her, we have a really great picture of Ramana's ashram. And of course, uh, 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 Mahendranath Gupta, who, who recorded what happened around uh, Sri Ramakrishna. Without him, we would have much less of an idea of what happened around the great Bengali saint of the 19th century. Uh, so these beings are very... And around Bhagwan Nityananda, um, <coughs> there was... Uh, uh, Tulsi, I'm one of the uh, women devotees who wrote down his sayings because of that we get an idea of what, what he was teaching. Okay, so this is a dialogue from that first book that I, that I studied and I didn't understand at all. Uh, and I had begun this dialogue some, some time ago, I'm not sure when, in the last couple of years, and I never finished it, so I'm going to finish it now. Um, this is from September 1936, and um, 
I'm, su I'm going to summarize uh, the first half of the dialogue. Uh, this, a woman came who is described by the writer as an aristocratic lady, though sad. Uh, uh, she came from far away to have Bhagawan Ramana's darshan. She said there are no saints like Sri Ramana in her area. Uh, and Ramana suggested that she practice the path of devotion. Uh, she said she's a householder and asked if she can still qualify to practice devotion. She can't live in the ashram, she's a householder. And Ramana says, of course you, you are already that. Therefore, you're already qualified. In Ramana's teaching, there's no problem. When spiritual seekers uh, go to, to a great being, they have a problem, suffering. <clears throat> and everybody has this problem of suffering. But from the point of view of the great being, there is no problem. There is only the self, because they've conquered it through their inner path. And for a great being, looks around, sees that the same self, the same capacity, the same possibility, is, exists in every person. So every person is qualified. You don't have to have special talent. Anybody who's conscious uh, has consciousness within them. So she's, he says, of course you can, you're qualified because you have that self within you. <clears throat> and then she confides that she lost a close relative and felt so much grief that she wanted to leave the world uh, but her duties didn't allow her to. And Ramana says, realization is not dependent on surroundings. She should practice inquiry by holding the I thought. So he gives her a teaching. And this is his basic teaching. He said, trace all thoughts arise from the first thought. When you get up in the morning, you, the first thought you have is I am. And then you go through the rest of it. So the primal thought is, I am. And so I am, when it goes outward, leads to this whole world of us. I am this, I am that. I am this and that. But when you take it inwards, and you go right back to the thought of I am, it takes you deep into the self. It's kind of a pathway to the self. And so he said, practice by holding on to the I thought. You can't willfully experience the self, but you can willfully hold the I thought, and then the self will reveal itself to you. You hold on to it. So let's try it right now. We can have some success or no success or a lot of success. But just think I am. Everyone will agree that I am is a meaningful thought, isn't it? I am. You know, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. <clears throat> I am. And then, I am is an idea, I am, but it leads to a feeling of what it feels like to be you. The feeling of beingness, the feeling of I amness. So say I am, and then trace it to the feeling of I amness. So hold the feeling of I am this, a being, you. At that level, you don't have a name or a profession or a philosophy, you just are sheer beingness. So just hold on to that I am. Now, as you do that, you're getting close to the true self. Because the mind, at least in the beginning, becomes still, and you're just left with the feeling of beingness. And this is what Ramana taught people to do. And a lot of them had a problem with it. It was too subtle, so he told them to do the mantra, which is a very good technique, repeat the mantra. But that's his basic technique just to hold on to the I thought, the feeling of I am. <clears throat> 
And that has surprising, surprising results if you work with that. So he goes on. Well, I come out of it now. Several of you are in Samadhi. Cut, cut that out. <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, I love it if you go into Samadhi, but, but because of my vanity, I want you to listen to me. Well, <clears throat> he goes on. He tells her, you are the self. You're already that. You're already the self. You don't have to build a self. You don't have to create a self. You've got it. So spirituality is a very funny thing. It's discovering what you have already. It's not like in, in other pursuits, it's learning a new thing and learning all this stuff. It's getting rid of stuff and coming back to what you really are. He says, the fact is that you're ignorant of your blissful state. Ignorance supervenes and draws a veil over the pure bliss. So I like to do dharanas. Dharana means you take a spiritual idea and you, you make it actual. <clears throat> so he's saying that a lot of us feel, you know, I'm, I'm anything but blissful. I'm miserable, in fact. I'm worried. I'm unhappy. I have psychic pain. But he's saying underneath that, um, there's pure bliss. So say to yourself, Underneath my suffering, there is bliss. Say it to yourself, and let that and and contemplate that. Underneath my suffering, my anxiety, my frustration, my feeling of lack, my feeling of less than, there is pure bliss somewhere there, hidden inside. Now notice that what happened when you did that. Did any of you have a soup song, a little touch of movement, an upward movement of a, of not necessarily you know ecstatic bliss, but some kind of movement of peace or happiness? How many have had some kind of positive movement that you feel? Okay, that's good. <clears throat> he goes on. Attempts are directed only to remove ignorance. So the, the, the universe he's describing is that the thing that keeps us from happiness is our own misunderstanding. It's not a social system or inequities or iniquities in the, in the world, nothing like that. It's just our own understanding. He says, this ignorance consists of wrong knowledge. The wrong knowledge consists in false identification of the self with the body and the mind. This false identity must go, and then there remains the self. We identify with our limited self, our social self, our physical self, our personal self. And so there's a higher identification that you get in touch with when you, you, can't, you meditate. <clears throat> So that's the summary of what, uh, what happened so far. Are you with me? So now we go back. What? That's the summary? That's the summary. <laughs> you want me to stop? <laughs> David Mount's bored. Did you enjoy that? <clears throat> so this is the rest of the dialogue now. I'm <laughs> waiting. So she says... This is the aristocratic but sad lady. <clears throat> she says, how is that to happen? And uh, Ramana says, by inquiry into the self. And uh, she says, but there should be the experience. Unless I have the experience, how can I be free from these afflicting thoughts? Unless I experience that joy, then these thoughts will assail me. It's a good question. He says, these are also in the mind, Ramana says. They're all in the mind. Thoughts are in the mind. They're there because you have identified yourself with the body. If this false identity drops away, ignorance vanishes, 
and the truth is revealed. <clears throat> you know, it, identification is very funny. We're very identified with ourselves. We really care about how we look to others, don't we? Admit it. What are they saying about me? Really big deal. Uh, and are we successful? We achieve our goals. And what will people think? And all that. And so th this one we're very identified with. But you look around all the other people, you don't give a damn what happens to them, basically. If they succeed or, or fail, you think, okay. You know, you're sympathetic. But it's not a big deal. So you don't identify with the others. You only identify with the one you identified with. <laughs> you follow that? <laughs> he says, she says, yet I feel, find it difficult. There are disciples of Bhagwan, disciples of yours, Ramana, who have had his grace and realized without considerable difficulty. So she looks around the hall and she thinks, some of these people have realized what you're talking about easily. Because that's what everybody thinks. When you look around, you think, oh, all these people are shining with knowledge and consciousness, and only I'm left out. That's, at least that's what I thought when I was around Baba at the beginning. I thought, oh, look at that. I'm the lowest worm, and everyone here is filled with realization. I, too, wish to have that grace. Being a woman and living at a long distance, I cannot avail myself of Maharishi's holy company as much as I'd wish, and as often as I, I would. She has duties at home and so on. Possibly I may not be able to return. I request Bhagwan's grace. When I'm back in my place, I want to remember Bhagwan. Bhagwan is Ramana. <clears throat> may Bhagwan be pleased to grant my prayer. So he's saying, give me special grace. So Ramana, you know, Baba would probably say, Yes, okay, you have it. <laughs> but Ramana's very reluctant to admit that. He, uh, he never, he always gets out of that. He says, instead, grace is within you. If it's external, it's useless. Grace is the self. You are never out of its operation. Grace is always there, which doesn't satisfy her. He's saying, you know, you have it already. She wants a special relationship where he gives her something. And Ramana is very uncompromising. We'll see, he, she gets it out of him eventually, reluctantly. <clears throat> she says, I mean that when I remember your form, my mind should be strengthened and the response should come from your side too. It's a relationship, I want something from you. <clears throat> I should not be left to my individual efforts which are, after all, very weak. <laughs> Savannah says, grace is the self. And I've already said, if you remember Bhagwan, you are prompted to do so by, by the self. Is not grace already there? Is there a moment when grace is not operating in you? <clears throat> Your remembrance is the forerunner of grace. So even when you think about it, that, that's grace. That is the response, that is the stimulus, that is the self, and that is grace. There's no cause for anxiety. So he's not, he's not giving it to her what she wants. Didn't he tell her to practice devotion? He did. So? He it That's all right. <laughs> well, you would have gotten it already. <laughs> so she says, can I engage in spiritual practice even when living in samsara? Even though I'm living in worldly life, can I do it? And Ramana says, yes, certainly. One ought to do so. That's exactly when you should do it. She says, is not samsara, worldly life, a hindrance? Do not all the holy books advocate renunciation? We, we don't, in the West we don't have, but Indians all have the idea that you have to renounce the world and go to a cave. And, uh, and eat berries and meditate 24 hours a day and drink water. And that's the only way. <clears throat> and Ramana says, 
Samsara is only in your mind. The world does not speak out saying, I am the world. Otherwise, it must be ever there, not excluding your sleep. Since it's not in sleep, it's impermanent. <laughs> saying the world disappears when you go to sleep. So it's not permanent. And the world doesn't say, here I am. It's only your attitude, your thoughts. Grab it. Being impermanent, it has no stamina. Having no stamina, it's easily subdued by the self. The self alone is permanent. Somebody deeply established in the self sees that there's no problem and that, it, that all these so-called problems will be overcome by meditation and practice. Eventually, come, the self is more important and more powerful than our suffering, is what he's saying. Even though our suffering seems so huge sometimes. He says, renunciation is non-identification of the self with the not-self. On the disappearance of ignorance, the not-self ceases to exist. This is true renunciation. So he's saying it's not about leaving the world and going to a cave. It's by getting rid of your stupid thoughts that are taking you away. Renounce your dumb thoughts, the wrong thoughts. So she says something remarkable now, which I, I really like her for. She says, why did you then leave your home in your youth? <laughs> She's having an argument with him. He's plucky, plucky. I never was that brave with Baba, except once. But all the time, I say, you know, I just give it up. All right, Baba, you win. Uh, but see, his story, which I didn't tell, one of the few times I didn't tell his, his life story, which I always felt I'm condemned to always tell the story, is that Bhagwan Ramana was self-realized when he was 16 years old, spontaneously. He had an experience of fear of death and then in a half hour, he went through the inquiry that he later taught, which is, he said, well, if I die, will, you know, what dies? The body dies, will I die? And he says, who am I? And he, dis he discovered I am the self. Not in the intellectual way I'm saying it, but actually identified with this higher consciousness. And he never lost that identification. He became... From in a half hour, he became an, from an ordinary 16-year-old kid, he became an enlightened sage. And uh, quite amazing story. And then he, he went off uh, and left his family, went off uh, and, uh, and lived in, in, uh, near the holy mountain of Arunachala for the rest of his life. But she's saying, because it's well known as biography, his biography is very boring. He moved to the holy mountain and lived there the rest of his life. So that's the only item in his biography that is of interest. He got realized in a half hour, then he left home, and then he lived there. That's it. <clears throat> so he says, why did you leave your home in your youth? Which is a, a, an improper question, but we like it. And his answer is funny. He says, that is my fate, my parabda. One's course of conduct in this life is determined by one's parabda. My parabda is this way, your parabda is that way. So whatever we're doing in life, it's uh, fate. I couldn't be more surprised to find out what my parabda is in this life. I never had uh, imagined that. I never thought that I would be a Swami living in Australia. Um, Etc. Anyway, there it is. So she says, should I not also renounce? And Ramana says, if that had been your parabda, the question would not have arisen. In other words, if you were supposed to do that, it would already have happened. <clears throat> she says, I should therefore remain in the world and engage in spiritual practice. Well, can I get realization in this life? Great question. That's great. Says, Ramana says, this has been already answered. You're always the self. Earnest efforts never fail. Success is bound to result. 
And that's wonderful, you know, because I felt in my early years of, of doing practice, I felt I'll never get anywhere. It just seems too, I couldn't understand it. It was like very murky and so on. How can you get anywhere? But the sage is certain, certain that if you practice, if you meditate, contemplate these things, you will get somewhere. You will get to the goal. And he has that certainty. And it was great because I saw that in Baba. Baba was centered in the self. I could see it. It wasn't something I imagined. I could see it, and he was centered there, and it always gave me a feeling of uh, hope and inevitability. <clears throat> and now comes the thing. Will Maharshi be pleased to extend grace to me also? So he asks again, right? And this is the way it ends. Uh, Maharshi Ramana smiled and said, mm, mm. <clears throat> and that's his. That's that's it. That's his. That's his saying yes. <laughs> he never would say it directly. Mm -mm. With blessings and salutation, the interview came to a close, and the party departed directly. That's the story. Cute, huh? <clears throat> All right. So I have two, but I'll only do one. Let's see. <clears throat> okay, let's do this one. This is now from Suri Nagama. This is one of the letters that she wrote to her brother. This is 1948. She writes, Dear brother, <laughs> as Bhagavan was going out this morning at a quarter to 10, his body faltered a little. The attendants hesitated to touch him to enable him to steady himself as they knew he didn't like it. He didn't like any special treatment or anything like that. He's very reluctant to take any medicine or anything, too, you know. Um, <clears throat> an old devotee who was walking by his side at the time tried to hold him up. And he was, at the end of his life, very feeble, and he had a lot of um, uh, rheumatism or arthritis or something like that. He was very... Uh, warning him against that, Bhagavan coolly said, you all try to hold me from falling down, but actually throw me down. Enough of it. Please take care that you don't fall down yourself. <laughs> and uh, uh, Suri Nagama said, this is how she said, these words are pregnant with great meaning. Like, don't fall down yourself. <clears throat> Though it would appear that Bhagwan was saying something commonplace, there was a great truth in those words, and therefore I made a note of them then and there. Put out her uh, her mobile phone and made a note. <clears throat> in the meantime, Bhagavan returned and sat down in his usual place. He he sat in an open hall and sat there, and people came in. Even before that, a young man had come there in a huff into the hall. After some attempts. He said, Swami, I've got a question in my mind. Can you tell, tell me what the question is, or do you want me to ask it? <laughs> He's challenging him. I have a question. Can you read my mind and tell me what it is? Isn't that impertinent? Hmm? Bhagavan said, oh, is that what you're worried about? Sorry, I do not have such powers. Being a capable person, you may be able to read others' thoughts. How can I get such powers? <laughs> You'll see that it's not true, of course, but <clears throat> that young man was about to say, what then is your greatness if you cannot do that much? But others who were there prevented him from saying that. Seeing that, I came and sat nearer to Bhagavan. 
So see, she she had read his mind, right? And they all read his mind, so they all were quite aware of what he was doing. So it it uh, sort of refuted what he was saying, and then she felt protective, so she got closer to Bhagwan because he was being aggressive. <clears throat> Looking at me, Bhagwan said, and and Ramana loved uh, Surinagama. He would confide in her. I could see their relationship. He'd always be making asides about what was going on here. So he says, look, this young man asked me whether I can know what question he has in his mind. <clears throat> no one has asked such a thing so far, so it means that he's testing me. <clears throat> the purpose of a person in coming here is known even as he comes in. So he's saying, I read his mind, he's testing me. And I, you can see what the person's about when they come in. He's like saying, I basically saying I can read their minds, not in the way he thinks, but in some other way. The manner in which he sits itself reveals the purpose of his visit. Just the way a person sits in the hall shows whether they're there to learn and receptive and open or they're there in some other kind of attitude. Instead of trying to test me, why doesn't he test himself and find out who he is? Would that not be much better? And she writes, a gentleman who happened to be sitting by the side of the young man took up the thread of the conversation. It said, Swami, you say that finding out the self is the greatest thing in life. But for finding it out, is repetition of a mantra worthwhile? Can we attain liberation in that way? So he's moving to a different thing, but interested in the, the quest and says, can you repeat a mantra phrase? <clears throat> Ramana said, yes, it's good. That itself will take you in due course to the goal. The repeating of the name is to remove all extraneous things. When you repeat the mantra, you get rid of all your worries and other thoughts and negative thoughts, and you focus. Then everything extraneous disappears, and what remains is the name alone, that which remains as the self, or God, or the Supreme Being, or consciousness. Nama Japa, repetition mantra, means we give, the name, give a name to God and call him by that name. You give him that name which you like most. So it might be Jesus, it might be Ram, or Shiva, or it might be consciousness, or even... I am. <clears throat> that devotee asked, will God manifest himself if you give him some name and pray to him to appear in a particular form? The Bhagavan said, yes, he'll answer your call by whatever name you call him and will appear in whatever form you worship him. That's a wonderful conception that God has consciousness. Consciousness is is incredibly supple and can become anything, just the way your thoughts can be anything. You can think of any place on earth and places that don't exist on earth. You can have thoughts, you can think about the past, the future, at will. You can create all kinds of things. So that's because your mind is made of consciousness. So universal consciousness can become anything and, and that divine principle can take any form according to your, your feeling. He says, as soon as he manifests himself, you ask something. He grants the boon and disappears, and you remain where you are. So Ramana is saying, what's the use of it? <laughs> That's why he wants to teach inquiry, self-inquiry. He says, you imagine God, you say, oh, uh, Krishna, uh, Rama, come in front of me. And then you see Rama, and you say, um, Give me this, give me that, give me the other thing. Give me money, give me power. And then he gives it to you, then he disappears, and you're still the same jerk. Mm -hmm. Now you have some money. You're a jerk with money. <clears throat> he, and so uh, Suri Nagama said, I said, suppose Bhagwan." Also will do likewise. I suppose Bhagwan also will do likewise. 
if we ask him for some material benefit. So saying, so you're the guru, so if I ask you for something, I suppose you'll also give it. And he says, she says, without taking any heed of what I said, and by way of avoiding the question, Bhagwan said, that is why God is afraid of manifesting himself. He comes, the devotees ask him to give away all his powers and retire. Not only will they say, give everything to us, but they'll also say, do not give them to anyone else. That's the fear. That is why God delays in coming to his devotees. <laughs> that's wonderful. So that's why it's so hard to have the experience of God, because he knows when he comes, you'll just want something from him, and then uh, and you'll, you know, he doesn't want to come. <clears throat> Another devotee, is it the same with Mahatmas, with, with great yogis? Bhagwan, there's no doubt about it. If any lenience is shown to people, they begin to exercise authority over Mahatmas. So they start to run power trips on gurus. <clears throat> they will say, you should do as, as you're asked to. They also say, no one else should come here, and so on. Devotee, it said the Mahatmas looks upon all with the same kindness. Why then do they tenderly receive some, reply to some and not to others? Now this is getting very interesting. When asked, uh, reply not to others. When asked, shout at some and show indifference towards others. Why do the, the yogis seem to be, have preferences? They speak to some people and they yell at some people. They discipline some people. They ignore some people. <clears throat> and now Ramana gives a great teaching about, uh, I guess, his, his method. He says, yes, he says, all the children are the same for the father. He wishes them all well. Hence, he treats them with love and anger according to their propensities, and thus gives them the training. Children who are gentle remain aloof with fear and do not ask for anything. Certain kind of nature, uh, they, they have a proper kind of fear and they don't ask for anything. They should be cajoled with love and tenderness and given whatever they want. Those who are bold ask for and take whatever they want. Those who wander from the path should be reprimanded and kept in their proper places. That when they wander, we bust you, and so on. Those who are stupid should be neglected and left to fend for themselves. <laughs> In the same manner, Mahatmas have to be loving or harsh according to the merits of the devotees. Isn't that interesting? That gets you going, doesn't it? You're thinking about it. <clears throat> Yeah, it makes, that's the way Baba was. <clears throat> I was stupid, so he ignored me. Oh. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's how everyone feels. <laughs> no. <clears throat> okay, we'll meditate for 10 minutes. And meditation is, is, in a sense, the highest form of self-esteem and of self-worth and self-affection. And it's the best thing you can do for yourself because you're going to the essence of who you are and you're connecting with that place. And it's a great surprise that although we might feel weak or less than or separate or uh, profoundly worried or have thoughts that attack us and so on, that what the great yogis say is that there's a place of great love, great power, great strength, great maturity, great harmony, great joy within every one of us. And when you hear that teaching, you think, I want some of that. 
I don't feel that, but I want to get there. And so when you meditate, you're actually moving towards that region. You're trying to get in touch with that place that exists within. I profoundly believe that that place exists within every person. But people are various, as Ramana says, and some are not willing to to make that effort. But I, I always urge people, make that effort, turn within, meditate a little bit, discover your true self. Stop looking to approval in the eyes of others. Stop looking to define yourself through the eyes of others or through your social standing. But discover within you that great strength that you actually have and the great joy that you actually have and the great love that actually exists within you. And that's through meditation. So let's meditate. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. Go within. Go to move towards your own self. You can do any of the methods that we talked about tonight. You can say the mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, which is the mantra of our tradition. Or you can take the thought, I am, and trace it to the feeling of I am, and hold that feeling, stay with that feeling. And when thoughts come up, let them go. Just let them come and go, and stay with that feeling of beingness. And so let's meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, great love and respect. I welcome you all with all my heart. Dr. Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 